Welcome to the Safe Passage for Children of Minnesota podcast. Safe Passage for Children's mission is to ensure that Minnesota has a child welfare system in which children are safe and can reach their full potential. This series of episodes will take a closer look at our short weekly policy blog, or eBrief, to give you an inside look into Minnesota child welfare legislation, policies, and practices happening right now in Minnesota affecting abused and neglected children, as well as those who work with or care for them. It is our goal that this podcast is educational, informative, and bold, increasing collective knowledge on these issues, as well as raising our voice to speak up for the needs and the safety of vulnerable Minnesota children. If you know someone who cares about children, be sure to share this podcast with them. Stick around for this week's eBrief podcast episode featuring Safe Passage for Children's Executive Director, Rich German. This is the Safe Passage for Children uh, podcast for Friday, November 19th, 2021, uh, which is based on the blog or the e-brief, which is entitled State Supreme Court Decision on Eric Dean is a Win for Children. Recently, the Minnesota Supreme Court unanimously overturned lower court rulings in the wrongful death lawsuit against Polk County, Minnesota, which was brought by relatives of Eric Dean, whose 2015 murder at the age of five prompted significant child protection reforms. The combined impact of previous state and federal decisions, notably the United States Supreme Court opinion in DeShaney versus Winnebago County, the impact was to shield child protection caseworkers from lawsuits related to deaths unless they had engaged in willful or malicious conduct. The Minnesota decision requires workers to also act in good faith and exercise due care, which lowers the threshold for successful litigation. This decision increases the potential to hold workers and, by extension, their counties accountable for decisions that knowingly put children at grave risk and which lead to their death. So time will tell how is this, this is going to play out, but it looks like a big win for Minnesota children to me. And why is this potentially a big win? Well, uh, we say potentially, first of all, because this case, which is known as Jepson versus Polk County, isn't over yet. The next step is to go back to the district court and have a civil jury trial. We're told that this will be a trial heard by a jury of six, and that'll happen unless there is a negotiated settlement before the trial begins. And however this trial, uh, this case is decided, whether in favor of the plaintiffs who are surviving relatives of Eric Dean or against them, it may not be clear until it is finally settled and perhaps until some additional lawsuits are brought along the same lines, what the new boundaries are that this decision places on child protection practices. So overall, there's a lot to unpack in this situation. And, you know, keep in mind that I myself is not, am not a lawyer. However, what I'm about to describe here is based on extensive conversations with attorneys who are knowledgeable in this area and, of course, my reading of the cases myself and what is stated in those relevant state and federal court decisions. So the first thing to know is the distinction between legal findings in child protection cases as opposed to foster care cases. 
There has been a successful history of litigation on behalf of children and youth in foster care, primarily class action lawsuits, but also some favoring uh, in favor of the surviving relatives of children who were killed in foster care. The class action lawsuits have been primarily brought by an attorney named Marsha Lowry over the past 30 years. And currently she works through an organization called ABC, which stands for A Better Childhood. And previously she brought these lawsuits through a center known as Children's Rights. Marsha Lowry's lawsuits have been responsible for many reforms in foster care across many states over many years. So they've been quite successful. Individual lawsuits or lawsuits in individual cases have also been brought. And in Minnesota, for example, the 2013 case of Kendrea Johnson led to a sizable settlement from Hennepin County uh, to the surviving relatives. You may remember that Kendrea was a six-year-old in foster care who hung herself. Currently, at least two similar lawsuits are underway. One in the case of Layla Mary Ann Jackson, who was an 18-month-old African-American infant who was brutally murdered by her foster father, who is a white supremacist. And also, the grandparents of a little girl named Ariana Hunsaker are suing their county for removing their granddaughter from their custody and placing her with a couple who systematically tortured and killed her over a period of months. All three of these lawsuits are brought by the same attorney, so there's some prospect for success since they won the Kendrea Johnson case. Now, in contrast, there have been virtually no or maybe absolutely no lawsuits in child protection cases since the U.S. Supreme Court decision in 1989 known as DeShaney versus Winnebago County, which is in Wisconsin. This was a six to three decision in which the majority argued as follows, quote, a state's failure to protect an individual against private violence, which means the violence of the father in this case, generally does not constitute a violation of the due process clause, which is in the 14th Amendment, because the clause imposes no duty on the state to provide members of the general public with adequate protective services. The clause is phrased as a limitation on the state's power to act, not as a guarantee of certain minimal levels of safety and security. And while it forbids the state itself to deprive individuals of life, liberty, and property, which is what due protection clause is, without due process of law, its language cannot fairly be read to impose an affirmative obligation on the state to ensure that those interests do not come from harm through other means, namely the father who beat him nearly to death. So now it's not clear to me, and I'm not alone in this, to others as well, why the state has no obligation to protect a child if that obligation is based not on the due process clause, but rather on the fact that both federal and state law have assigned it that responsibility. So in the dissent to the case led by Justice Brennan, arguing on behalf of the minority, he seemed to say he agreed with this view and stated that the state had an affirmative action to intervene. My disagreement with the court arises, he said, from its failure to see that inaction can be every bit as abusive of power as action, that oppression can result when a state overtakes, undertakes a vital duty and then ignores it. Brennan said that today's opinion construes the due process clause to permit a state to displace private sources of protection and then, at the critical moment, 
to shrug its shoulders and turn away from the harm that it has promised to try to prevent. That's the end of the quote. Brennan is basically saying that the due process clause can't be cut that thin and that custody of the child is not a decisive consideration. If the child, if the state had assumed an obligation to protect a child, they are obligated to take appropriate action, including to remove the child from the home or parents if necessary. Then Justice Blackman added in his own dissent that, quote, the facts here involve not merely passively active, passively uh, active state intervention in the life of Joshua DeShaney, the intervention that triggered a fundamental duty to aid the boy once the state learned of the severe danger to which he was exposed. Justice Blackman went on to say in a very well-known summary, poor Joshua, victim of repeated attacks by an irresponsible, bullying, cowardly, and intemperate father, and abandoned by the respondents who placed him in a dangerous predicament and who knew or learned what was going on and yet did essentially nothing except, as the court revealingly observes, dutifully record these incidents in their files. So that's the end of Brent, of uh, Justice Blackman's quote. Despite the compelling nature of Justice Brennan and Justice Blackman's decision, the DeShaney case virtually closed off the ability to sue caseworkers and by extension their counties or states if children were in child protection but not in foster care. So the Minnesota case here now brought by the surviving relatives of Eric Dean is not based on the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. So it doesn't run afoul of that Supreme Court decision. Instead, it's based on state child protection statutes, which are in section 260E of state law, if you want to look it up which requires caseworkers to exercise due care and operate in good faith. The significance of this phrase is that it essentially adds a new layer of responsibility to common law. And common law gives caseworkers, and again their counties, official immunity from lawsuits if they're exercising independent judgment in the course of carrying out their duties. What Eric Dean's surviving relatives successfully argued in this case is that the state would not have added these additional requirements uh, to the law if they did not mean to abrogate or set aside the official immunity that's normally granted uh, to these workers in common law, you know, to, uh, to successfully add that they have to have uh, operate in good faith and exercise due care. So that this, they're saying that the state did that on purpose, the legislature did that on purpose because they wanted to make it clear that uh, in this case, official immunity granted in common law does not apply. So <clears throat> we should say that granting official immunity to child protection workers is, you know, overall a good and necessary thing because it enables these workers to make decisions in very complex situations without the fear that their every move is going to result in being sued. However, the DeShaney case has basically meant that this immunity became virtually limitless the standard uh, is that in order to lose the protection of common law and no longer be entitled to official immunity, the caseworker has to operate in a willful or malicious manner. So what does that mean? Willful or malicious means that workers deliberately did something to harm the child. For example, say, handing the parent a baseball bat knowing they would probably beat the child to death with it. That's an impossible standard. That's an impossible threshold to get over. But the Eric Dean situation and the decision, however, effectively lowers the bar for successful 
litigation to something more, let's say in layman's terms, more like gross negligence. Now, what I'm about to say may not be entirely logical, but one thing that gives me confidence that the state Supreme Court decision is correct and will stand the test of time is that it is actually understandable, at least uh, as far as legal opinions go. You can actually follow the logic and see how it connects to the state law. Now, in contrast, if you try to read the appellate court decision, it's like, you know, it's like reading a medieval Jesuit argument about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. The logic is complex. It's tortured. It's hard to follow. It's frustrating to read. And in the end, it's unconvincing if you do manage to follow it. At least uh, it's unconvincing to a layperson. So they kind of had to stand on their head in order to make the case at the appellate level. Now, it's impossible to know at this point what the long-term impact of the Eric Dean decision is going to have. But the fact that it was based on requirements written in state law as opposed to challenging the due process argument in the United States Supreme Court case hopefully means that it will be difficult to appeal the decision beyond the state level. The downside, however, of course, is that this is not a victory for children beyond Minnesota. So the next step, as I understand it, is a civil trial back in Polk County with a jury of six citizens. Given the incredibly emotional nature of the case and the degree to which we are all going to identify with Eric Dean, the little five-year-old who was beaten to death by his stepmother, and the degree to which the county deliberately left poor Eric to his own devices in this horrible situation, I think it's likely that the county is going to negotiate a settlement, figuring that they don't stand a very good chance at trial. But even if there is a jury trial and Eric Dean's relatives lose, if they lost that case, the Supreme Court's decision has still opened the door a crack for beginning to sue workers in counties when they knowingly decide to leave children in settings where there's great danger and ultimately results in great harm or the child's death. So just based on my own experience in government of 25 years or so, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic that this case will have an impact on the ways that counties and the State Department of Human Services think. Now, their current practices take the goal of family preservation to such an extent that we have numerous situations like Eric Dean, some of them even worse. And we also have... Ordinary, if you can say that, ordinary child murders where there's not the same degree of torture involved or the same degree to which the county should have known that something was going on that was too dangerous. But all of this has been in the name of keeping families out of child protection, you know, screening them out repeatedly or returning them from foster care as soon as possible, often to situations that are not any different from what they left. So I predict that this case will be discussed by the counties, you know, intensively and in their associations, and it will probably make its way into the official training curriculum. And it's going to become a part of the decision-making of workers and supervisors going forward. Now, the bar for suing a county or a caseworker is still very high. There's no need for caseworkers to worry about frivolous lawsuits. Gross negligence is still pretty hard to prove. But the fact that there are some guardrails as opposed to none on workers and county uh, as opposed workers and counties as opposed to not having any 
will, I think, over time moderate the extreme version of family prese- uh, preservation policies and practices that we now have in place. Maybe it will take a while for all of this to play out and for new approaches to get some traction. But those are the reasons that I think this decision is a big win for children. Well, with that, I want to thank you, Rich, for sharing your time and your expertise on these issues. Again, if you know someone who cares about children, be sure to share this podcast with them. Until next time, this is Safe Passage for Children of Minnesota, working to ensure that Minnesota has a child welfare system in which children are safe and can reach their full potential. If you would like to learn more about Safe Passage for Children of Minnesota, please visit us on our website at safepassageforchildren.org. There you can sign up for our email list, read all of our eBrief blog posts, register for our free bi-monthly webinars, watch our featured videos, and more. You can also follow Safe Passage for Children of Minnesota on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn.